1 Timothy, we've been looking at the subject of Christ at the center, and the last two weeks we have spent looking at Christ at the center of our finances, and this should be the last one on finances for at least a little bit, okay? Uh, we'll do three strikes and you're out. Uh, no, uh, part one and two the last couple of weeks, and then part three today to wrap up this little sub-series within the, the broader topic of Christ at the center of our lives in general. But a big part of that is our finances. Uh, so much stress comes from finances, so much conflict, uh, so much frustration. But so many wonderful things can come out of finances if we do things right. And so I, I wanted to make sure I spent enough time on this subject. So this will be the third part, and then we'll move on in this Christ at the Center series uh, to other facets of, uh, and implications of this topic. Uh, but yes, I, I, I know I'm running the risk of being that preacher who only preaches on finances. Uh, okay, well, we'll get through it. I trust God has something for us here this morning. Colossians 1.18 is our theme verse, uh, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Preeminence. What is that? It simply means to be first, to be first place, not just worked in on the side, the priority of our lives. As we look at the matter of finances, God wants to be first place there as well. We looked at uh, the first financial step a couple weeks ago, which is bringing God the first fruits bringing him the tithes, and doing so by faith. It takes faith to give the first and best to God. Uh, anyone can give the final tenth after all of the bills are paid, but it takes faith to give the first tenth to God. And so I believe the first step of financial stewardship is just tithing, giving by faith and trusting him uh, to help you with the next steps. And then we looked at really the next step in the, in the, the, the part two of this sub-series, uh, just being a faithful steward of your wealth, and wealth being the financial freedom to invest one's time, energy, and resources into the things that matter most. Uh, we looked at uh, a, a lot on that. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But, and then uh, today we'll look at unlocking our potential, that, that financial freedom and putting Christ at the center of our finances really unlocks so many avenues for the Christian to be used and useful in God's purposes. A couple of verses we looked at, Deuteronomy 8:18, 8, uh, where the Bible says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for he it is that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. It is he that gives us the power to get wealth. Anybody who thinks otherwise is deceived. There are no self-made men. You may think that, but God was good to you. God helped you. God enabled you. God gave you everything you have. And I know there's a lot of men who, in this world who would not want to admit to that. I did this by the power of my hand and my smarts. No, no God gave you everything you have. And we've got to stay humble. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 is another verse we've uh, touched on. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithfulness, 
is the key characteristic of a steward of God. What are we? We are stewards, meaning everything that we have is not our own, it's His. We are just the stewards of it. We get the benefits of it. We get the responsibility of, of uh, governing things and making decisions, but it's not ours, it's His. And if we have that mindset, we keep open hands and humble hearts. And, and it keeps us honest because finances can so tug at the heart. So some biblical characteristics of faithful stewards, and we're still just warming up here. We're just reviewing a little bit, getting into the message. Uh, I would say first and foremost, a, a characteristic of a faithful steward is that they tithe. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you look all the way through the scriptures, you see these faithful stewards of God bringing him his first. Why? Because God's hungry? Because God's broke? No. Because we are demonstrating by this action that he is first place, and I believe that he will work in my, on my behalf as I honor him. He is the one providing for me. I'm not providing for me. He is providing for me. Therefore, this tithe is an act of priority, an act of worship, and an act of faith as we put him first. Faithful stewards tithe. Faithful stewards are generous. And you see this all the way through as well. I love in the book of Acts, the generosity that you see there with the different churches giving to one another. And in the epistles, you see Barnabas selling land and giving it. Uh, you see so much generosity by people who, some of them didn't even have much means. And yet others of great means, and they were generous with it. But a faithful steward is going to see himself as a channel, not a reservoir a channel that God can use to flow through. They're generous. They nurture a spirit of generosity. They're dependable and trustworthy. In Matthew 25, we spoke about this parable a little bit. These guys got, got a stewardship. One got five talents, one got two, one got one talent. And this was the stewardship that they were entrusted with. And they were dependable. Well, the first two were dependable and trustworthy. And they were handsomely rewarded by their Lord. The last one was not faithful and trustworthy. He did not produce uh, what the master expected of him, and he was condemned for that. Why? Uh, a lack of faithfulness, a lack of dependency. A faithful steward is dependable and trustworthy. Faithful stewards, as we saw last week, spend less than they make. They live well within their means. You know, if you are not purposeful about this, if you don't have a plan, if not very intentional, you are always just going to spend whatever you're given. It's just going to be gone. Whether that is a million dollars a year or $50,000 a year. If you don't have a plan, if you're not intentional, you're just going to spend everything. And if you're not careful, you'll spend more than that. You got a million dollars a year and you're spending 1.5. You got 50,000 a year and you're spending 75. Uh, you've got to be careful. You've got to know what do I make and what are my expenses and what is my budget to make sure I'm living within those means. The Bible says in Proverbs 21 20, there is treasure uh, to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. The wise man has treasure that is desirable, and he's got oil, he's got what he needs. Why? Because he's wise. He lives within his means. But the foolish man spendeth it up. We've got to be careful about our spending. 
And uh, if God is going to invest in you, you need to ask yourself, am I a good investment? A lot of us would love to make more money. I would just love to have more money. I'm making 50 grand a year and I'm spending 75 grand a year. It'd be nice to have 75 grand a year. Well, stop spending 75 grand a year. Spend 45 or whatever. T dial this back and let the Lord see in you faithful in that which is least, faithful in that which is most, the Bible says. You know, if you're looking at a stock, there, there are stocks that uh, do a million a year and yet their profit is only, oh, I don't know, 10%. Then there are stocks that do 100000 a year, but they're making 50%. The company is better structured. The margins are bigger. You want to get involved in a comp company that is, is not so leaky, all right, and, and is, is spending more carefully. So the question is, if God's evaluating you like you evaluate a stock, what fundamentals does he see? What does he see about your track record? What does he see about your history? What does he see about your value and the worth? And why does God want to invest and entrust in you? Seems fair. We should spend less than we make. We should be diligent in this matter. And that's the next one. They are diligent. Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. That, that penury is the idea of lack or poverty. The one who labors has profit. The one who just talks doesn't have it. He has a lack. But also stewards, faithful stewards, make good use of God-given wisdom. They make good use of God-given wisdom. The crown of the wise is their riches. That's Proverbs 14, 24. Forgive me for not putting all these on the, on the screen, but you can jot these down. Proverbs uh, um, 14, 24. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. You know, God gave us the best finance book in all the world. Here it is. No knock on Dave Ramsey, but his book doesn't come, you know, doesn't hold a candle to this book. I think he would say his book is based off of this book, right? And he does great work, great help to so many people around the world. But this is the book. And if all you had was the book of Proverbs, you would do just fine. We Christians have in our hands the opportunity to be the, in the best position financially of anybody walking around. Not that that's the goal. The goal is financial freedom. The goal is the wealth or financial freedom to be able to have the time, energy, and what was it, resources to pour into the things that matter most. That's the goal. But many of us have a hard time and we're frustrated and we're tired and we're, we're working too hard and all of this because we haven't used the gift God gave us to give us everything that we need to do as well. If every Christian practiced with consistency the principles found in the book of Proverbs alone, not only would we no longer stress over finances, but we would be liberated and empowered to greater usefulness than we could ever imagine. And I also believe this very firmly, and this is not meant to, to, to judge or shame anybody here, but the reason, uh, the reason 
churches have to have building campaigns is because we don't do everything the book of Proverbs says. I really personally believe if all Christians lived the financial principles in the word of God, uh, we would, ha- we, would, we would build the buildings that we needed when we needed them. We would just move through life. Things would, we would send missionaries when we needed to send them. Things would be covered uh, because it's all there. So much of what we deal with in the financial realm is a result of us not following the principles that God has given. We talked about last week, how do I get free? I'll just review this real quick. We said stay focused on faithfulness and contentment. We said, harness wealth as it comes, but do not be harnessed by it. Be unswervingly disciplined in your spending. Remember, don't be the leaky cup. It's hard to fill a leaky cup. And some of us leak really fast. God's trying to fill you up, but you're leaking. Be unswervingly disciplined in your spending. Get out of debt, stay out of debt, have a budget, stick to it, get a plan, be diligent. And then nurture a spirit of generosity. Be a giver. Celebrate giving. See yourself as a channel, not a reservoir. This is what we looked at last week. So we're just gearing up to our text. And as we do so, I'll give you one more text that I think will lay some groundwork for our our actual text this morning in 1 Timothy. Matthew 6, 19. "Lay Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He is telling us, Jesus is telling us, you need to have an eternal perspective when it comes to your finances. Now, why is that so important? Well, Jesus said it, so it's important. But this morning specifically, we're going to look at another passage that talks twice about laying hold on eternal life. In other words, the perspective that Jesus told us to have of having our treasure, our heart set on eternal treasure, that's the perspective we need to lay hold of. Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on this eternal perspective. I'll tell you, when we do that, we are freed from many of the stumbling blocks associated with finances. So now here we are in our text. All that leading us to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Bible says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what? If you are godly and if you are content, you're already rich. You've already experienced great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And may I say this morning, many are drowning. I'm not just speaking of the lost. Many Christians are drowning in destruction and perdition because of the foolish, hurtful lusts, the temptations and the snares that they have stumbled into and gotten wrapped up in because they will to be rich. They have this desire, I need to be rich. That is not the goal. That's never been the goal. 
The goal is for you and I to have the wealth necessary to provide the financial freedom, to have the time, energy, and resources to do the things that matter most. Not to me, the things that matter most to God, the things he's called me to do. To be able to pour myself into all that God has called me to do, that's, what, that's the goal. Many, many sorrows, it says. Oh, I got ahead of myself. Destruction and perdition, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So a couple of responses to this so far. Some Christians say, that sounds awful. I am not going to have anything to do with money the rest of my life. Like I'm running from money. Money's horrible. I want to be poor. I want to be broke. I don't even want to have a temptation toward that. I'll just, I'll just live out my existence just hand to mouth and just stay away from that awful stuff called money. I'm sorry, you missed it. You missed it, buddy. Yet the other side, which says, okay, so some people who will to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and all kinds of sorrows and blah, 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 but that's not going to happen to me. I'm smarter than that. I'm smarter than that. I can get this money. We're going to go get that money. I'm going after it. I'm going to be rich, but it's not going to happen to me. And they have a problem. What we need is to find what is this passage saying? What's the balance? How does a man and a woman of God navigate these principles? We obviously see the verses we just read give us a grave caution that every one of us ought to be very much tapping the brakes. All right? Flashing yellow here. Slow down. Uh, Be cautious. So verse 11 helps us. But thou, O man of God, that does not mean that he's not talking to women of God. In the Bible, all the way through, from cover to cover, many times the man is spoken to because that's the head of the home and that he's speaking to the, the, the women, the children. Uh, so it applies to all, all right? But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Now stop for a minute. Remember, there's two ways to react to this. Money is evil. Flee! You know, take a vow of poverty. Let's just be broke for Jesus. It'll be great. Uh, you know, we won't be able to send any missionaries anywhere or do anything, but we'll be broken. We, at least we won't have temptations toward uh, the, the love of money. Well, what is he telling us to flee? It's very important for us to be able to identify these things. And, you know, it just takes some, some just some reading over a few times. You say, this isn't hard. If he was telling you to flee money, he wouldn't say things. He'd say, flee it, or flee, flee money. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't take a chance. It's evil. But he says, flee these things. So question, what are the these things that the man of God is commanded to flee? Well, we just read them. We're to flee temptation. The temptation and snare of misplaced desires to be rich. Folks, God wants to have your whole heart he wants your desire to be toward him and toward his work and toward his kingdom 
And when you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're dreaming of great things, we hope that you're not just dreaming about how you can make the next buck to be able to do this great thing and uh, get this and get that and amass a fortune and and I'm just going to be the richest man and I'll climb the ladder and then I'll I'll finally get above so-and-so and and above so-and-so and I'll be there. I'll have arrived. Uh, You know, if you're awake at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're praying and dreaming about what I want to do for God, what God's called me to do, my plans of how I'm going to do it, what needs to happen in my life, what are some decisions I need to make, what are some things I need to cut out. You know, now that's a different whole kind of desire. It's a different whole kind of dream. We need to have our heart dreaming and desiring that which is eternal. And he's going to tell us that more specifically in a moment. We're to flee the temptations of these misplaced desires to be rich. Remember what he said in verse 7. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. There are not many certainties in life, but here's one. The certainty is you're going out and you're going out with nothing. Wow, that didn't sound so fun. Well, that's what he says about lay hold on eternal life. You're going to something that you've been investing in this whole time. You're leaving all this behind. You have everything to gain if you've done this earthly pilgrimage right. Flee the temptation and snare of misplaced desires to be rich. What will riches do for you? If it's not a part of God's plan and if your heart is not right, it will corrupt If it's just the desire to be rich for your own status, your own pleasures, your own purposes, all of that is worthless. It's all staying here. Flee those temptations. How do you flee those temptations? You may have to stop listening to that podcast. You may have to turn the channel. You may have to uh, get around different people who help you to get your heart inclined toward more eternal values. Flee the temptations, but also, what, are we also, what else are we to flee? What things are the man of God supposed to flee? The many unnecessary, foolish, and hurtful lusts brought about by this path. There's so much needless hurt that happens when you selfishly just chase the dollar. People get hurt, you hurt people. People get abandoned, people get neglected as lust reigns. And whenever lust reigns, there's always collateral damage. Flee these things. Flee the destruction and perdition of the covetous. I don't want to be with that. I mean, I don't even know what all this means, the destruction and perdition. But it doesn't sound good. Men drowning in destruction and perdition, flee these things. Flee that. Don't be with the ones who are drowning themselves. They look like they have all of this gain, but they have no freedom. They have no joy. They have no peace. They have no rest. They have no hope of eternal life, some of them. They're just cashing it all in for the moment. Flee these things. Flee what else? Flee the love of money, which is the root of all evil. And he is clear here. It's not that money itself is evil, but it's the love of money, which is the root of all evil. 
Money is simply a tool just like a hammer is a tool. Jesus wasn't afraid of money. He didn't worship money. He didn't dream about money, but he used money. They had one of them who held the bag. Why? Money's evil. No, it's a tool. Hey, Jesus, it's tax time. What do we do? Oh, Peter, I happen to know of a certain fish. He's got a stomach ache. Uh, you go get that fish. There's a money, piece of money in that fish, and go pay our taxes with it. You know, it's not, oh, I'm, look what I found. This is great. No, it's just a tool. Just a tool. We don't love it. We don't hate it. We just use it as we're going on the path that God has put us on. This just helps us like anything else helps us, like shelter, like clothing. Money is a tool. But the love of money is the root of evil. And we need accountability in our lives. We need maybe some people in our life that we talk to and pray with who will help us to see, is my heart turning toward this idol, this love of money? Flee these things. Flee the temptation, the unnecessary hurtful lust, the destruction and perdition, the love of money. Flee the errant path of the covetous that wanders from the faith. It says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Folks, isn't it so sad that so many of us have, uh, will start out doing great things for God is the goal, but then we covet after the love of money and hang on, Lord, I need to do a little bit of this and you know, I'll be right back. I guess I've got to get a little bit more. And we err from the faith. We didn't mean to. We told ourselves we'd use it for this and that and the other thing, but, but we, we couldn't control our own deceitful heart. We didn't have accountability. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have the, the heart that was surrendered to the Lord, loving Him first and foremost, and we coveted after it and erred from the faith. Not all at once. A fork in the road at first is, is right next to the road you're supposed to be on. But not very long, and you're miles apart. Flee the errant path of covetousness that wanders from the faith, and flee the piercing pain and sorrows of the way of the transgressor, which is hard. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard, and you see it here, which when some uh, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Folks, we have got to first and foremost seek him. He must be at the center because I'm telling you, what God blesses is blessed. What God curses is cursed. And you can work as hard as you want to. But if God's not breathing the wind in your sails, you're going nowhere. You're just going to have the piercing pain and sorrow of one who has gotten off track. I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm sure, but I'm just going to say it now. If you're struggling, and you know you're struggling with the love of money, if you know you're struggling with that, that temptation toward covetousness, and, and you're just you're just you know, this is, this is me. Is there any hope? Is there any cure? Yes, there is. Find somebody in need and write them a check. And I'm not saying in our Baptist church. I mean, you could do that too. But I'm not saying that. 
Find somebody in need and write them a check. And do that over and over and over again until that covetousness begins to subside. And I'm telling you what, it does work. The looser you are with, it has to be mine, mine, mine. And the more you are with, I want to help, I want to help, I want to help. God will heal your covetous heart. And you will also begin to get excited about, I just helped this guy. How cool is that? God helped me by, here's the story. You know, God gave me this job and he gave me these extra hours and this happened, that happened and I was freed up to do this and this and this and you start piecing it together and you see the narrative and you see God's hand all over it and you're just like, I'm in the middle of what God is doing. I want to do this more. Before you know it, the covetousness is taking a back seat as you are getting excited about what God is using you to accomplish. What are the, what are the these things that the man of God's commanded to flee? All that stuff from verse 6 down to verse 10. Is he commanding me to flee money itself? No, and you're going to see that very clearly in black and white in this passage. Money is to be used and, and harnessed very carefully. So what are the things that we're to follow after? He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things, but not just that. Follow after what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So what's the first thing we're to follow after? Godly virtues. More, okay, if you're, if you're hurting financially, more than you need an education in finance and economics, more than you need a business degree, you need godly virtues. You need to pour yourself into what this just said. Follow after righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, meekness. And I'll tell you, those are the virtues that are going to save you and protect you against the temptations and the snares that will inevitably be all over as you go forward. Oh, some covetousness over here, some temptation over there. No, no, no. I'm following my Lord. I, God's giving me victory in selfishness it's being replaced with godliness, righteousness, faith that he'll provide, love for the brethren, love for him, patience. I'm not going to, it's not the get-rich-quick scheme. Patience, meekness, under control, with a plan, knowing where I'm going, follow after godly virtues. If God allows you to get wealth, and you do not amass these godly virtues, that will backfire. No man can handle these temptations. We're all human. We're all men and women. All right? We have have an inherently sinful heart that tends toward idol-making. The heart is an idol factory. That's what it is. It makes one after the next, and it's deceitful the whole time. No, it's not. We're not doing nothing to see here. It's not an idol. What, what idol? That's our heart. And we've got to recognize if we're not following after godly virtues, everything else will be compromised. You've got to get up in the morning and spend time with him. You've got to be reading his word 
You've got to be in the book of Proverbs getting this wisdom. The wisdom is there for the taking. God is literally just rolling the jewels down past the aisles. All you got to do is scoop them up, right? They're just right there. And if you're not putting that in first, you will be carried away with the covetousness eventually. Follow after the godly virtues first and foremost. Secondly, stay in the fight of faith. What are the things that the man of God is commanded to follow after? Not follow after money, not follow after the dollar, follow after the virtues of godliness first. And follow after a, the fight of faith. Stay in the fight of faith. That's what it says right here. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Then it says, fight the good fight of faith. When you're in the fight, the fight keeps you honest. You see everything different on a battlefield than you do at home. I've said this before. I've said this many times. But you got two guys in boot camp, and they hate each other. This guy never takes a shower. That guy never changes his socks. You know, this guy over here, he snores. That guy over there, he talks in his sleep or whatever. Uh, he likes these things to eat. He likes the opposite. And, and yet they're battle buddies. And they just hate each other until they find themselves in a foxhole. And they're pinned down and they're attacked. And, and you cover for me while I load. Hey, you get, the, we're, we're, you get my six. And, and grenade and this and that. They're calling things out and they come through it. And they hug each other and they cry. And all of a sudden they're friends for life. I love your stinky feet, man. You're fine. You don't have to ever take a shower again. I don't care. You're my battle buddy. And we're in this thing. When you stay in the fight, when you're in the fight, your perspective is different. And it's different about everything. Oh, the, I, I've never been in a foxhole, but I can imagine when you're in a foxhole, you, you see your possessions differently. You see all the stuff at home you took for granted. You see it all differently. And I, I, I just, I, I see this analogy with the Christian fight that we're in. If you're not on the front line using your resources engaging the enemy. The enemy is keeping you honest. If you're just in the back living for self, yeah, you're going to be more tempted toward covetousness. Get in the fight. Put your resources into the fight. Lord, use me to hit that enemy. Lord, use me to put rounds over there. Lord, equip me so I can go. And you'll be surprised. God says, I can, I, I can entrust rounds to this guy. And God keeps blessing. God keeps using. And you keep going. But why should God equip a soldier who's so far from the fight, he doesn't even know there is a fight? Follow after godly virtues and get in the fight of faith. and lay hold on eternal life. And this is, is mentioned twice in this passage. But lay hold on eternal life. What does that mean? I'm already saved. Haven't I already laid hold on eternal life? Yeah. But sink your teeth in it. Get wrapped up in it. Not thank you, Lord, for eternal life. Now back to making money. No, 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 no. Matthew 6, lay up your treasure there. Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. Uh, lay hold in eternal life. Matthew 6, kind of living. Colossians 3, kind of focus. Well, what is that? 
If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections, your heart, on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. That's the, Col- the Colossians 3 kind of focus, the Matthew 6 kind of living, is what he's talking about here in 1 Timothy 6. Lay hold on eternal life. Your whole life needs to get excited about news of what God is doing. Kingdom victories, advancements, opportunities to engage, things to get involved in. I'll tell you, if that's what excites you, if that's what gets you up in the morning, who can I help? What can I, what can I uh, uh, help equip? And what can I further? It wouldn't surprise me if God enables you to do those things. Wouldn't surprise me. What am I doing right now that will last forever, for eternity? And what happens after I'm gone? For we brought nothing in, and it's certain we can take nothing out. So much is invested, so much money, time, and energy is invested into things that have no eternal impact whatsoever. They're just gone. And one day we're gone. And the question will be asked, what did his, her life mean? What did my life mean? What impact was there? And I'll tell you, I want my life to have had eternal impact. We've got to finish with the charge. So what are the, these things that the man of God's to, command to flee? All that stuff in the first few verses, 6 through 13. What is the man of God commanded to follow? The godly virtues of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. He's commanded to stay in the fight, fighting the fight of faith. He's commanded to lay hold on eternal life. Now what's the charge to the man of God who happens to also have wealth? Here it is, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. I thought we heard that phrase already. We did. Whenever the Lord gives it to you twice, you better listen up. This charge is to the rich specifically. Well, this helps us with a couple of things. It takes us back to that initial reaction. Should I flee, not just from these things, but free, flee from riches also? Oh, there's just too much of a risk with riches. I'm going over here, I'm going to be poor for Jesus, I'll be broke, and I'll just take a vow of poverty, and I'm just not going to get anywhere close to riches. I don't believe that's what it's talking about, because he wouldn't have charged the rich the way he did. He would have said, uh, charge them that are rich in this world that they repent and, and be broke. That's what he would have said. You shouldn't be rich. Shame on you. Give it all away. Poverty is where it's at. That's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. He actually equates the man of God and the rich, believe it or not, can be the same person. Wow. But there is a very hefty charge. 
Don't be high-minded, proud, be humble. Riches tend to puff up. You're going to do what I tell you to do. No, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are, because I got more money than you. You know it, and I know it, and you're going to do what I told you to do. And, okay, yeah, you have more money. Okay, I'll go do it. You know, uh, this whole world is about that. I got the bigger car. I got the bigger bank account. I got, I'm further up the seniority chain than you. I tell you what to do, and you better do it, because I got more money than you. And that's how it works. That's high-mindedness. You're not any better than anybody else because you have more money than them. And you, you need to recognize that your heart is ticking, their heart is ticking, and God's in control of them both. And your bank account doesn't have anything to do with when you take your last breath. But God has a whole lot to do with it. So be not high-minded. And recognize that everything, according to Deuteronomy 8, which we read a minute ago, every bit of wealth came from God. It is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. So if you're rich today and you're a man of God today, be humble. Don't be high-minded. Secondly, don't trust in uncertain riches. Trust God. Folks, you can have all the money in the world and God can pull the plug on it. Stock market breaks. World War III. This, that, the other thing. It doesn't take much. We saw in, in 2020, we saw how fragile this world was. And I'm going to tell you right up, or straight up, it kind of knocked me for a loop. It was just very disconcerting for me personally to see with my own eyes just how fragile this world is. Maybe it didn't bother you. You're stronger than me. That's great. It, it threw me for a loop for a bit there. I'm telling you, I was like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Everything was normal and all of a sudden it wasn't. Yeah, that's what we need to recognize. Everything's uncertain. Riches are uncertain, but God is not. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never, the song says. Glory to his name. Don't trust in the uncertain riches. Trust in God. So if you've got a lot of money, praise God for it, but don't trust it. And enlist it to his services and say, Lord, reporting for duty, what, what do we have to do today? Don't be selfish and stingy. Be rich in good works. That's what it says. That they, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Don't be selfish. Don't be stingy. Be rich in good works, ready to meet needs, ready to distribute to those who have need, the Bible says. This is what keeps us honest. God gave me this not because I'm somebody. He gave me this because he believed he could trust me to know what I'm supposed to do with it or to hear from him what I'm supposed to do with it and obey. And finally, what's the charge to the rich? Don't hoard the temporal. Lay hold on the eternal. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Get your arms wrapped around. Get your fingers sunk into eternal life, eternal living. I'm not hoarding something down here. I'm building something for up there. I'm investing something that will last long after I'm gone. I know we need to take care of our families. I know the Bible says that the wealth of the righteous is laid up for his children's children. But even be careful about that. 
God didn't say you had to lay up so much that your children are all spoiled, rotten, and all go to the devil because you left them millions. Take care of them. Absolutely take care of them. Uh, you're, you're worse than an infidel if you don't, the Bible says, not me. You, you take care of your kids and you, you lay up, sure, a, a generational uh, 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 inheritance is fine. But I tell you, some people actually end up pushing their kids off this cliff of, of, of covetous and love of money because they leave all of their kids and don't invest it in eternal, in, in eternal uh, impactful opportunities. The implication here is that being rich and being a man of God are not mutually exclusive. But for the man of God to stay a man of God, without getting derailed by the stumbling blocks of the company riches, he's got to heed this charge. Folks, what do we hear here? And we're out of time. There's some things we are to flee. There's some things we are to follow. There's a fight we're supposed to be in, and there is uh, a charge to the rich that we need to heed When it comes to the things we're supposed to flee, let me just, just hit this again before we, before we dismiss. Flee these things. There are so many things that are hampering Christians from being able to get to first base of freedom. We, we read them. All those different temptations and snares and foolish, hurtful lusts, drowning men in destruction and perdition, the love of money, the root of all evil, and all this. Folks, you recognize... We're talking about finances, so I'm going to make a financial application. I can go all kinds of different ways with this, but we'll stick with finances. Your vices, your snares, your temptations are not just hurting you spiritually. They're bankrupting you monetarily. And for many of us, we are putting ourselves on the shelf. We want to be in the game. Hey, Lord, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I want to play, coach. I want to play. Sorry, you can't. I can't get you off the bench. You've got too much stuff that's strangling the life out of you. I have, to, I have to take someone who's not round up in chains. I need to take someone who can actually get out and run and walk and do the things they need to do to, to round first base, second base, third base, and come home. Let's deal with these temptations and snares. Let's deal with these disciplines. Let's, let's flee, flee, flee. For some of us, where we're at this morning is the first one. God wants us to flee. There's some garbage we need to flee. Like, like Joseph fled, we need to flee. There is an opportunity cost. There is time lost. There is money wasted. There's all kinds of implications. And we want to be in the game. We want God to use us. We want to be an onward Christian soldier marching as to war. But we're back here with the medics in the medic tent. And nobody wants to be in there. But the good news is you don't have to be. You can humble yourself and say, God, forgive me for this sin. Forgive me for this lust. Forgive me for this selfish, self-centered living. Forgive me for following all these vices and everything else that, that I'm putting before you. Help me and free me. I want to get in the game. Or maybe I should say I want to get on the battlefield. You know, this world wants you to be broke and wants you to be broken and not in the fight. And I'll tell you, you know, people celebrate 
in Michigan, there's uh, marijuana is, is, uh, is legal and everybody comes to Michigan because we've figured it out and it's wonderful, you know. Uh, and I just think about that and I think how much is lost by these folks who just live for the pleasures, live for the one vice to the next vice to the next vice, can't hold down a job, can't do the things they want to do for their kids, and what's worse, someone else is taking it all from you. Everything that you give up, someone else is taking. If you gave up your future, you didn't just give it up, someone else took it. If you lost a job, it didn't just go somewhere, someone else took that job. If you lost money, someone else has your money. I don't know, I don't like that. You're not taking anything from me and from my kids. No, we, it's time to get serious about fleeing these things that are robbing me, handicapping me, and I'm helping by my absence, I'm helping to uh, provide wealth to people that don't even have my values, possibly. Running this world straight to the devil. Christian, it's time to get in the game. It's time to get on the battlefield. It's time to get serious about what we are losing. These vices aren't just hurting us spiritually. They are bankrupting us and taking us to the sidelines. For some of us this morning, we need to flee. For some of us this morning, we need to follow. We're just not serious about those virtues. We're not serious about putting him first and godliness, contentment, righteousness, love, faith, meekness, these virtues. Uh, we, we don't take our, our, our Christian life seriously. It's just, it's just uh, something we work in. Yeah, we're not into all the vices, but we're not pursuing him wholeheartedly. And we're working so hard and not getting anywhere because God has withheld his blessing. He doesn't want to bless if he's not first place, because if he's not first place, we can't handle the blessing. The blessing would be an actual curse. We need to follow. And for many of us, we need to lay hold on eternal living. Laying hold on eternal life provides the perspective needed to be able to be accounted faithful with what we've been entrusted. What's the potential of a man of God who also happens to be rich. It's, hey, 1 Timothy 6. Men of God, charge them who are rich. What's the, what's the, what's the potential of a man of God who has fleed the, fled these things, followed these things, lay hold on those things, fighting the good fight of, God, of, of faith, walking in dependence and humility upon the Lord. What's the potential? I don't know, but I get excited about it. Churches advanced, people saved, disciples multiplied, buildings built and expanded, no problem. No problem. Missionaries funded around the world, training centers financed, marriages saved, education afforded, stress reduced. I like that one. There's enough stress just fighting the devil, folks. The spiritual warfare that goes on in this church is real, and it is at times in your face. That's enough stress. Do we need to add all the stresses of 
financial ruin and all of the distractions and all of the, all of the frustration, folks, man, woman of God, flee, follow, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the blessing it is to be able to be accounted a faithful steward. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be serious about these things. I know that none of us are seeing perfect victory in every area of our life. But, Lord, we know you are perfect victory. Help us to get a hold and lay hold of your life. I pray, Lord, for freedom. For each person here, freedom from the snares, freedom from the temptations, freedom from the covetousness, the lust. Lord, I pray that we would follow with everything we have, that we would lay hold on eternal life. I pray, Lord, that we would fight the good fight and that we who are rich in this world would not be high-minded. We would not be self-dependent. Lord, we would be those who, again, lay hold on eternal life be liberated to do what you have us to do. Lord, help us to unlock our potential. Heads about nice, close the piano, plays a moment. Would you take a moment and do business with God? Where was it that God spoke to you? Just take a minute, park right there and talk to him.